Welcome to Improv Interviews. I'm Margo Escott, a psychotherapist and improviser, and this podcast is all about improv and sometimes improv and therapy. And today I have a wonderful guest all the way in California, and she is not only an improviser, but is also training and being a therapist. Hello, Molly Erdman. Hello, Margo. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm just delighted meeting another therapist who's got an improv background. It just shakes my shakes me up a lot. It makes me excited. So um, let's talk a little bit about because I am a therapist. I like to talk a little bit about your background and your family. So where did you grow up and what was your family like and what position were you? Um, so I grew up uh, in Dallas, Texas. Um, I'm the the oldest of two girls, uh, and I have some step siblings. Uh, my parents divorced and remarried, um, so I have an older stepbrother as well. Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, I, I grew up in Dallas. I was actually born in San Francisco, but only spent a few months there that uh, I, I couldn't possibly remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, moved to Dallas and and had a. You know, like I said, my my parents did divorce, but it was still a, a pretty happy childhood, I think. Oh, that's great. And did you grow up in the city or in a suburb of Dallas? I grew up in the city, but the city is very suburban. Um, so I probably lived 15 minutes from downtown, but it you could have been in the middle of suburbia anywhere uh, driving down the streets. Not Not a very urban city. Okay, so you had grass and parks and things to do. And did you like to play outside? Do you remember what you liked to do and play when you were a little child, little girl? Yeah, you know, um, one problem with, with Dallas is that the summers, like if you live in a cold part of the country and you know that in the winter you can't go outside, that's sort of how the summers are in, in Dallas. It's so hot. Um, that you have to be really careful about playing outside for too long. But um, uh, and you have very fair skin. People will see the picture of you. You have very fair skin. I I do. And and it's funny. I, I went to college in Boston and it wasn't until I got to Boston that we, we really understood how fair my skin was because I just had layers of tan that never went away. And so it took <laughs> me moving somewhere to, to get back to my, my fair skin. Um, but I, I had a next door neighbor who was my age and we would play together a lot and just a ton of like imaginary play um, board games, um, acting out movies that we liked. Um, I had, I had really, really creative friends. That's, that's who I was drawn to. And, and we would just, you know, imaginary stuff for hours. Were any of your parents or step-parents artists in any way, musicians or anything like that? The farthest from it. Um, <laughs> My mom and dad uh, met in medical school. They're both physicians. And my step my stepdad is an engineer. Um, my stepmom was a teacher and was an interior design um, for a while. But no, I'm I'm the lone, even my sister, there's there's no one else who's gone <laughs> who went in a sort of artistic direction other than me. Well, so when you were a little girl, five, six, seven, and we can go back, you know, just a few years, I think. For yes, you. yes. Um, do, did you like to put on plays maybe or act out movies or cartoons you had seen? Can you remember any of those scenarios? Yes. Um, so my next door neighbor, Susanna, she and I regularly came up with new uh, shows that we were going to put on for the neighborhood. Um, often our plans... Uh, it, like we, we a lot of them we never ended up actually performing, but we would rehearse and we would plan them and and all of these things. Um, the two that I remember that we actually brought audiences in for, um, one was a more of a dance concert um, for the entire Michael Jackson Thriller album. Um, we we did. We all, this was at Susanna's house. We had an audience and we alternated songs on the album. Each one of us would do a dance for them. Um, and then we also did one that was at my house that was called, 
I'm trying to remember what it was called. It's called something like New Year's Resolution or something like that. And it was about the two of us. And there was a, it was some play that we created where there was a fire in our home um, and we had to, to figure out what to do. Uh, pretty, very dramatic. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, we, we loved doing things like that. Oh, that's so wonderful to have a friend like that. I used to put on shows in my backyard and make my brother, who turned out to be a big financial financial genius, he would collect the money. But we didn't have rehearsals. I would just tell people, this is what we're going to do. I was kind of bossy as a kid. So um, I I was really in love with movies and Disney stuff when I was a kid. Do you remember any of the like first movies you saw that really made an impression on you? That's a good question. Um... I think, oh, you know, when I was in second grade is when the movie Annie came out. And that was like every girl in my class. We we just were obsessed. And um, I re- <laughs> so second grade. So I was like seven or eight. And I remember, you know, I had the soundtrack and I would do all those songs and I would watch the movie all the time. And then I would. um pretend just on my own in my room that I was the actress playing Annie and that I was on like a press tour with the rest of the cast. So I was like hanging out with Carol Burnett and Tim Curry and I was acting out like us being interviewed and what it was like to make the movie. Uh, So (laughs) I still have a very clear memory of that. So I think a lot of things that had like kids who were stars was very appealing to me because I was like, how did they get to do that? That's so cool. Right. right. And you love to sing, I take it. And you love music. I, I'm i not great at it, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever played in a girls uh, or any kind of musical improv group? Um, I, mm, No, not on any regular basis. I've, I've sat in with some groups um, and done musical improv, but I have to say it's, it's still an area that fills me with a little bit of... Uh, a lot of bit of anxiety when it comes to improvising music. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't have to have a great voice. You just need to have 110% commitment because if you hear some people, even from whose line, they're not always the best singers, but they give it like, um, oh gosh, the guy that was Scottish, Colin Mockery. Yeah, yeah. Great voice, but he commits to that. So I bet you're probably much better than you think you are, Molly. (laughs) So um, did you have arts in school? Did you have like art, music, dance when you were younger before, you know, before 12, 12 years old? Did you get some of that as a child? Yeah, I feel really fortunate um, that I did. I I started dance lessons uh, at an early age. And so and I did that all the way through, I think, junior year of high school, Um, tap, jazz and ballet. That was a big thing for me. And then the first um, (laughs) the first uh, play, like kind of, you know, that I auditioned for and everything was in, I think, third grade at the first elementary school I went to, which was a um, parochial school. And we had a theater arts class, which already I, is pretty great. And they did a production of Free to Be You and Me. And mm-hmm. uh, the Marlo Thomas, uh, you know, from, this yeah. was in like 1983. So uh, around that time. And uh, I got into that play. And my mom has told me the story that this is she and my dad was, were still married at the time. They were surprised that I wanted to be in a play because I was a very shy child. And yeah, and they came to see the play and they were both kind of feeling very nervous for me. And my mom describes the moment where I sort of said my first line and she and my dad kind of looked at each other like, where did this come from? Um, And it was sort of the beginning of what became, I think, to this day, sort of how I am, which is that I am a kind of shy person sometimes, but not on stage. Um, and and I think that being on stage helped me tremendously with that shyness. And you were already performing by then anyway. I mean, you know, you and Suzanne were doing your shows. That's right. That's right. So, um, that is great. So what else did you perform in, um, later on, like in high school? 
Yeah, and our our high school had a wonderful theater department, and so every fall there would be a a drama, and in the spring we'd do a musical. So I did, you know, the classics, Bye Bye Birdie, Fiddler on the Roof. Um, what are some of the others? I'm having a hard time even. Uh, Annie, we did Annie. How did can I Annie. forget? <laughs> and were yeah. you Ann, were you Annie? No, I was um Lily, the part played by Bernadette Peters in the uh-huh, movie, who uh-huh. is Rooster's girlfriend. And right. it was my one of my favorite things I'd ever done. It was it was so much fun. Um and then I did uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream, some other dramas, Spoon River Anthology. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, and at the same time in high school, I was doing um like speech tournaments where you go and perform you know, like a 10 minute selection from a play or something like that, uh, you know, competitive with other high schools and stuff like that. So I was I was really immersed in theater in high school. And so you knew how to memorize at mm-hmm. an age and that was great. And um, so what a wonderful memory of being in things like Fiddler and mm-hmm. those other shows. And a, a lot of times staples are things like our town is a big staple sometimes in high school, the crucible, um, those yes. types of things. But theater with high school kids has really morphed into a big time production. I don't know how it was when you were in school, but the costumes and the makeup and the sets, did they really take everything and really make it super duper or what was it like in your high school? You know, it, it it was kind of a blend. Um, I went to a um, private school, prep school, um, and that had a lot of people with a lot of money. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my parents are both doctors, so certainly we were comfortable, but I would consider myself in like the lower... 30% of wealth at that school. Like, like it was, it was truly insane. Um, what I loved about our theater is that it was essentially um, a, an oversized black box in that it could yeah. be the, the seating formation could be changed. It wasn't like a proscenium, you know, or auditorium style. So I remember um, in fact, the first show I did, I had a, like a non-speaking role in the miser uh, Moliere is the miser, and they had the seats set up sort of alley style. So there were two rows of seats um, on either side of the stage, and we performed in the middle. Um, and so that was what I loved. The the people who did the sets at our school were really, they really went for it. Like they would build multi-level platforms and things like that. But then on the other hand, like costumes, it was pretty that we, you know, we'd be asked to bring in stuff and, or they would partner up with local theaters to try to borrow costumes and, and things like that. So it was kind of a nice blend between, yeah, there was some money put into it, but also it, it looked like a high school theater production. You know, it, it was still sort of homegrown grassroots type of thing, which I think is, you know, part of the joy of that. I love it. You know, there's some schools, uh, theater schools, where they actually, we have one in Florida, they got costumes for the actual, uh, it was Mulan or something like that. I mean, they actually rented Broadway costumes. It was like crazy. Amazing. Um, yeah, but it's it's kind of incredible what people will do. Now, during this time you were in high school, were you in love? Mm, no, I was in like with a lot. <laughs> With uh, I was kind of a late bloomer in that room. I had a lot of crushes. You mean in love with theater or in love with people? In love with a boy. You know. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I might have said that I was. Um, I had a lot of crushes, but also a lot of awkwardness and not really a knowledge of, of how to go about, um, uh, you know, like reaching out to people, like expressing how I feel about people. Um, so I, I was a little, I, 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 I say I was sort of like sheltered by choice uh-huh. um, quite a bit as a kid. I think I was scared of a lot of um, coming of age types of things. Right. Well, who isn't? It's a scary right. time. <laughs> yeah. And so, but, and you had this underlying shyness and doing all of these things that normally a shy person doesn't do like being on speaking teams and doing things like that now during high school i I loved high school by the way i went to a girls school where we had a uniform so you didn't have to think about what you wore every day but um (laughs) that was a relief um 
Did you do any writing at all in high school? Were you writing anything? Yeah, I, um, I, I, I did some writing. It's funny thinking about it now. I, I think my writing then and my sort of writing habits are, have carried with me this whole, for 40 years. Um, I loved starting things. I loved starting things and getting into a lot of detail. And I never felt good about how I was ending things. I think that was always my <clears throat> struggle with creative writing and still is. Um, but I loved creating characters and, um, you know, English classes when we would do creative writing. That was always one of my favorite things. I loved writing poetry. Um, anything creative, I I definitely felt drawn to. And I also, oh, this actually <laughs> ties in with the love thing. One of my first huge crushes was a boy named Jason, who was the funniest kid in the school. Like just so, so funny. Um, also like hugely nerdy. That was my, that was my type. And, um, he and I were never, we never, you know, dated or whatever you call it at that time. But what we did do is constantly sent each other back and forth like notes where we would write out, um, you know, funny quotes or we would make little comic strips of things. And then we started making each other audio tapes. Um, it started, I gave him one for his birthday one year. Um, and, and in these audio tapes, it basically turned into, we might put a few songs on, but it was mainly we would cr create sketches. Like I would by wow. myself fill a 60 minute tape with like me doing sketches by myself and, and, you know, commercial parodies and stuff like that. Um, and, and we would just send those back and forth probably for two or three years. Wow. So, so I was doing a lot of actually kind of second city style writing where it was coming from improv, you know, I was improvising uh -huh. something to sort of figure out what it is, um, that I wanted to, to solidify and, and make the final product. That's terrific. You know, I met that guy, Jason Sudeikis, right? Different guy. This is the guy I went to. <laughs> that would be amazing if I was like, and that, that person? <laughs> Just thought I'd add a little twist, make sure people that, were listening. <laughs> that would be amazing. So you knew you wanted to get into theater. And so you went to, where'd you go next for your college? I went to Tufts uh, University just outside of Boston. Yes, I've, I've heard of it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, kind of small liberal arts college. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to do theater, but I knew I didn't want to exclusively do theater. I knew I didn't want to get like a um, BFA or do a conservatory program or anything. Um, and what really, oh, so my, my senior year of high school, I actually started an improv group and this was in 1991. Wow. Um, where did so you not, learn that? So in my theater class in high school, our teacher would, um, we would do improv exercises. I don't even know if she used the word improv, but what I, I remember we would play freeze, like freeze tag. And I also remember we would do something where two of us would get up and she would like change channels on the, on the TV set. And so when she changed the channel, we would have to be something on that channel. Right. And I loved it. It was just the greatest. And then the summer before uh, my senior year of high school, I did a six-week theater program at Boston University. And someone from Improv Boston, um, a guy named Michael Bernard, was our improv teacher. So improv was one of the like five classes um, that we had every day. And we learned the Herald. And we learned some games. And, um, one, my best friend from high school at the time did the program with me. She was also theater kid. And so we brought this knowledge back and buddied up with another one of our theater friends, um, at school. And the three of us, three, three girls, I should say, uh, started at our, our improv group and we had auditions. The improv group still exists to this day, 30 years later, um, and so, yeah, so then when I went to, I was trying to decide which school I wanted to go to, and I, I had been leaning towards Tufts, but I went to this sort of open house weekend um, for students who had been accepted, and it ended with their improv troupe doing a show. And I was like, that's it. And I went over <laughs> and talked to the woman 
um, one of the women in the improv group and, and, you know, was like, when do you have auditions? And she was so nice and they wore cool shirts and that's I was important. like, that's it. That's it, it is. <laughs> and what year did you start call, um, uh, your, uh, post-grad? Uh, oh, that's, we're my, still an undergrad. We're still at Tufts for. Yes. Yeah. So what year was that? Uh, 92 is when I started in. So in there college. hadn't been a huge explosion that we started to see yeah. later on. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really cool. And, and, uh, it was, it was fun because the people in the improv group, there were certainly, you know, probably half of them were theater majors, but one of them was an engineer and one of them was a religion major. And one of so it was just like, it, it was people bringing all their different, you know, wealths of knowledge and, and references and things like that um, for something that was like purely fun. It was, it was really the highlight of my college experience. Oh, I bet it was. Now, while you were playing improv, were you studying, reading any of the improv books that were out there? There weren't a whole lot out there then, but. Um... No, not not really. And in fact, I I didn't really even think about improv beyond just this is fun with my improv group until my junior year. And I had a friend who sort of had her sights set on the Second City. And she was talking to me about it. She's like, you know, a lot of people on Saturday Night Live started at Second City. And so I was like, okay, great. And I had a friend who is a year older than me who um, was a theater major <clears throat> and planned to go to Chicago after graduation. And Chicago sort of became this place of like, it's, it's going to be easier to live in than New York or L.A. And there's a lot of great small theaters and there's improv. And so it really, and then my senior year of, of college, our improv group went to um, a festival where Del Close was the guest um, lecturer, artist, whatever. So that that's what got the ball fully rolling for me um, and um, moved, moved to Chicago September of 96 and never looked back. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And so what was Dell like back then? I mean, he had periods of ups and downs and different things. Uh... Um, yeah, here's, <laughs> I feel very fortunate and grateful that I got to experience Dell. I didn't get him during a great time. Um, at, at the workshop in particular, it's actually funny that I, even after that was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, go to improv olympic first um because i he did not leave a good impression on me um he seemed he he did like our group he had nice things to say because our, our group had performed and, uh -huh. and he he gave nice feedback but yeah it just seemed i couldn't imagine um being in a class with him um although i was about a year later <laughs> Um, and, and there were, I think when I took class with him at IO, there were certainly moments of great insight. Um, but he was also very sick. Um, we, he created a show, um, that I, that I was part of it. I was in a, you know, my level five with him and we created a show out of it, which he came to as often as he could. But it was during the run of the show when he passed away. So um, we, we really had him in, in sort of the, those last few years. Mm -hmm. So there were moments. There were moments. And certainly when you got a compliment from him, it was like, oh, cool. Um, but on the flip side, when you got a more critical note, it was tough. And in fact, the first class I had with him, my first level five, he gave me some note that upset me so much that I called in sick to work the next day. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Yeah. So I was just going to ask you, what was your day job back then when you first started work, studying at IO? Yeah. The, for the first few months that I, I moved to Chicago, I, you know, I was waiting tables. I had like a part-time, I did some temping and stuff. Um, but then for the bulk of it for five years, I worked at Columbia College in Chicago um, as an admin and then as the assistant to the chair of the art department, um, which was a fabulous day job. 
I had excellent benefits. Um, I had in a 40 hour work week, I would say 10 hours of actual work that I needed to do. Um, <laughs> now, is, that, is that fine art when it was the art department? Yes. That was fine art. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, and, and, and that was also really nice. Columbia college in general is a sort of art and communication school. And so I was just surrounded by kind of like-minded people who, you know, even though they weren't into theater necessarily, um, I had like faculty members in the department come see shows of mine and people were very supportive and so it was just really cool. And and so I was there for five years and then I was hired by Second City for the touring company. And I talked to my boss about it and they they really let me try to try to do both for as long as I could. Like they let me use a wow. lot of sick and personal days and stuff like that um, so that I could stick around for a while. Um, to this day, I, I look back at that time and was just like, oh, I had it. I, I, I had everything I needed, really. It was it was really nice. Oh, my gosh. Now, Second City, Second City recruited you, seeing you at the I.O., or were you, already, or were you studying at Second City as well? I had then started at um, classes. I went through all of I.O., and then I went through all of the annoyance, and did, then I did Second did City. Did you work with yes, yeah. I did. Um, both Joe Bill and and McNapier. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And then I did Second City. And I think the advantage to that is that by the time I did Second City, I had it down. And I felt very confident, had it down. I mean, as much as you can with improv. Right, right, right. But like, you know, and, and so I was very confident. And I think that um, that really helped me and it made an impression on my teachers, um, some of whom have uh, decision-making powers. And then I also auditioned five times, I think, before I was hired. So it was a it was a long process. So do you remember some of the faculty you had when you were at Second City? Yes. Um, I had um, the late Jim Zulovic was my first teacher. So he had been a performer there. Um, he was fantastic. I had Ann Libra, who is Kelly Leonard's yes. wife. Right. Um, I had her twice, actually. Um, and and she was the first person who said to me, like, if you want to do this, you can. Um, and I remember that very clearly. Um, who else I have? Norm Holly. Um, oh, there is one other and I'm blanking on the name right now. But I, ha I thought I had very good teachers at Second City. I, I was really happy with with who I got. And you were taking improv as well as sketch writing? Or just well, it's it's all sort of combined. Um, so the Second City program is sort of um, it culminates in a class show that's scripted, but you arrive at that rather than okay, go home tonight and write a script. You're like, I have an idea for a scene, and it's you and I going through a drive-through, um, but you know we're both dressed as clowns because we're coming from work or something like that. Um, and you would just improvise it, and this is the same way that that Second City shows are created um, for the resident companies. Is is it's typically you improvise ideas and sort of keep tweaking and re-improvising until you land on what you feel like is is the finished product. It's so cool. Um, and along the way, where was it that you met this fellow, Jay Suko? I think you've heard of him. I, I have. I have. Um, boy, you know, he's one of those people I'm like, I don't know. I've just known him forever. Um, I knew of him in Chicago. I think I, was he might have been at was he at comedy sports in Chicago? I feel like he I, I feel like might I first yeah. knew people who knew him and, and knew his name. I knew his name. I don't think it was until we were both out in LA that I got to know him more from doing shows together um, and, and, you know, teaching together and things like that. Um, but yeah, he's just one of those people who I just feel like has always been around, <laughs> but I don't remember how I met him. <laughs> That's okay. It's tremendous, <laughs> tremendous teacher and coach really oh, yes. so much. Um, so now are you, are you married yet? When do you get married? Um, I have been married twice, and the first time I got married um, was in 2001, around uh, right before I started uh, touring with Second City. Right. Um, and uh, was married for about five years, uh, separated, 
And then I started dating my current husband, who I was on the Second City main stage with um, in 2007. And he and I got married in 2012. Wonderful. Now, was your first husband an improviser as well? He was. Yes. <laughs> that yes. can be an interesting mix, can't it? Now, it, you, have, yeah. you have some children. Did you have children with your first husband or your current husband? With my current husband, we have a nine-year-old daughter. And then I also have a almost 20-year-old stepdaughter um, from my husband's first marriage. Okay. And your nine-year-old daughter, um, mm -hmm. is she interested in the theater? She is specifically interested in improv. Um, <laughs> she actually, her school offers an after-school improv class that she is in. And she's done plays and stuff too, and she likes it. But I don't think she likes the preparation and the memorization and things like that. Um, she, and she, I think she just likes the instant gratification um, from improv. Uh, so, but she, it's funny. I, I, we've actually, we were just talking last night about she will, she and my husband will just sort of spontaneously like improvise scenes at home. Like they, and, and she, she's just a natural at it. And so I was thinking like, you know, I'd love to start a, an online improv show. There's so many people, friends of ours who have kids and it's like, let's just do like a, a parent child improv show um because it's it's hysterical and and yeah she she loves it well that's something you could absolutely do unless you have papers to write or exams and we'll get into that a little bit later right uh, that's an awesome idea i think that's wonderful and uh, a group here locally in, in naples florida had a group called the gene pool because it was mostly fathers and i think it was fathers and daughters um when I, I started, love that. Yeah, wasn't that a cool name? And you could take it because they don't meet anymore. So, you know, it's not <laughs> okay, great. take that name. Take that I'm name. on it. Enjoy. So um, what during your time in Chicago now, I'm kind of an you can see all my books. They're all about improv back there. Yeah. So I kind of like to read books and I, I did read truth and comedy first, I guess. But then I got into Viola Spolin. So did mm -hmm. you ever actually read any of those books or was it part of your interest in terms of doing improv yeah i i read truth and comedy that was required given to us on the first day of class right. um i don't know that i've read much more i i think there have been times where i've read certainly i've read some some spolen like excerpts um from her book but i i never really i don't think i fully read any other book about improv except oh except for my good friend um liz allen who um is an incredible teacher she was one of my first improv coaches and she co-wrote a book um with a guy jimmy Corain, who's also sort of a chicago improv yeah fixture. yeah i have i've studied with jimmy i've actually yes. chicago to study with jimmy yeah oh, okay so yeah, um yeah what's the, I, the book again um improv therapy is it improv therapy or something? I don't think so. I can't remember what it is. I have it on a shelf somewhere, but Me too. It's um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I just, just never really ended up reading much yeah. more beyond that. That's okay. That's a great book though. And yeah. well, I like to write and I mostly write kind of nonfiction about improv and improv and therapy. So it's one of the things I really love, but with Spolin, you know about Spolin. So was her was Spolin being taught at Second City when you were there? Mm, Even if they didn't call it that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think probably more so. So the, the other thing about the Second City structure is that their conservatory is what I did. So it starts at like level one and goes to level five. But they also have a more sort of introductory program that's letter like levels A through E or something. And I think they probably use Spolin more in sort of the like theater game type of thing. Um, it, at least in an indirect way, if not overtly, um, I think it comes into play more in those earlier um, sort of fundamental levels. And when you were at Second City, were you part of ETC ever? Nope. I went, I went from touring. 
I did the very first cruise ship that Second City did. Wow, what, what ship was that? Do you remember? It was the Norwegian Dawn. Um, it was the very first when they fought, when they got their agreement oh. with with Norwegian. That was the first ship. So um, uh, I did that, and then while I was on the ship uh, is when I was offered the spot on the main stage. Wow! Did you like being on the ship? Um. It, it had its, there were things I really liked about it and there were things I didn't like so much. Um, but, but overall, it was a good experience, I think. Yeah, I have some friends, Marshall Stern and Nancy Howland Walker, who spent like six months of their lives on cruise ships. So the pandemic really hit them quite severely. Yeah. They couldn't cruise, but they're, they're on the seas again as we speak. Yeah, oh, um, nice. Yeah, so um, what prompted you to move to LA? Well, I, I had finished up um, the, uh, I, had, I was on my third main stage show and it was my favorite one. It was, you know, very well received. Um, it, it was, it, you know, it, it was great. And I was like, okay, three was sort of the number I was thinking I would do. It'd been a little over, you know, about two and a half years at that point. And so it just sort of felt like the natural thing. Um, I also at the time was under a commercial contract for Sonic. Um, so, you know, forever there were the two guys, Pete and TJ, uh, doing Sonic commercials. So for five years, there was also a husband and wife, um, a guy named Brian Husky, who's in a lot of stuff and me. Um, so I was in the middle of that. And so I had, everyone basically encouraged me to go. Um, my, and it felt like that was the thing I was supposed to do. Um, and, and so I did, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know in hindsight if it was the right, <laughs> right thing to do. Um, but, but it didn't, it didn't feel like I had anything. It wasn't that I had, didn't have anything left to do in Chicago, but I had done the thing. I moved to Chicago to be on the second city main stage and I did it. And so it felt like. I should go. And with the commercial contract, I didn't have to worry about money. And so that also seemed like a good time to go. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was in Chicago for 11 years uh, before I left in 2007. 2007. So you picked your high heels up or did you even wear high heels? Uh, oh, I did not. <laughs> it's hard to wear high heels on stage, I got to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> one of my first improv shows I was in, there was another woman who had studied, you know, with my same director down here in Florida. Right. And I was wearing like a black shirt and a black skirt and tights. And she said to me, you can't wear a skirt doing improv. I thought, oh, my God, I can't do this. I like wearing skirts, you know, uh, but those kinds of absolutes are some of the things I would base a character on that I did for a while, like the very worst improv teacher in the world. Oh, um, I love it. Funny, actually. Um, <laughs> another experience I had, and that same person was in the group, is I, I was new. I was like my first year, and we put on little shows. We we bait. It was in a little mall. We we go out and we beg people to come in and watch us for just come in and see us. Don't pay anything. Just watch us. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what I was doing, but at one point, I was the only person left on stage. Maybe I was being a scene <laughs> hog. I do not know. But all of a sudden, I'm just left there alone. And, you know, did a monologue. What else do you do? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyway, hey. Yeah, but you're, you were a confident, competent improviser. You probably never had experiences like that, or did you? Um, oh, I'm sure. I mean, I, I, I think that one of the things that was hardest for me, and, and honestly still is, um, is whenever the the opportunity comes to like join a new group or play with new people getting over that sort of tentativeness that sort of shyness of like i don't want to do anything wrong um i think that still that still sticks with me a lot of and and i think it's my worst enemy when it comes to improv is that just sort of internal judgment um that that fear of making a move that doesn't seem you know that seems out of character for me or something, something different. Um, so, you know, as, as long as I've been improvising, I feel like there's a lot of things that just don't go away. 
and, you know, still having those moments sometimes where I feel like I'm being left out uh, on my own, even when I'm not. Uh, but I've also been fortunate to play with incredibly supportive and wonderful people who almost without fail will make me look good even when I'm not. So I feel very lucky in that regard. Yeah, that's the beauty of improv, isn't it? I hate the expression got your back. I don't know why it irks me, but the support that we get from each other and the acceptance from each other. And in so many cases, the love that we're feeling because we're really being heard, we're being seen and being validated. And those are things we all need as human beings, I think. I think that's why improv and therapy kind of can go hand in hand. So when you get to LA, you don't need to have a regular job because you're doing the Sonic commercials. And where did you go once you got to LA? So I think the um, the first Monday I was here, I just drove to the IO that was here and was like, I'm gonna play Armando because that's what I did in Chicago. And I know some of the same people. So that was my instinct. I was like, I'll just head head to the improv theater. Um, and so I, I did that. And I also, there was a sort of alumni show at the Second City in Hollywood. Um, and I would do that and sort of had that connection with people, um, met new people, but also a lot of people I knew from Chicago who had moved out to LA were there. So that was, it felt like instant community and certainly made my move um, so much easier. And eventually started um teaching and and coaching teams and things like that all the while um you know auditioning and and working on you know writing pilots and and you know all the things you do uh when you when you move to LA and have you had some pilots develop at all um no <laughs> not yet i guess I had, <laughs> no i had um you know it's it's been a lot of there, I, I think that my career, my my entertainment career has had a lot. I have had a lot of like, I've had some successes. I've had some things like really close successes. Um, and I think that's, you know, part of the, what's so hard about it. And, and it's what keeps you coming back as you get like close to something, but you don't quite get it. And so you think, well, maybe next time is the time where I hit it big. So I, I can't walk away from the table now because what if it's blackjack on the next deal? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really feel like I hit. I, I actually feel like uh, and part of my sort of um, journey to self-awareness that uh, brought me to the next phase of my career was sort of the realization that when I was on the main stage at Second City and I had a commercial contract, that was pretty much the highlight of my career. I was, that was all I ever wanted was to be on the main stage at Second City. And so when you get that, when you're 31, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, now what? Um, so yeah, it was, it was just a lot of ups and downs after that. And how are you defining success, Molly? Mm, yes. Um, I think there's two main ways. One is financial. And by that, I just mean enough that I can live off of and I don't have to go get another job. And I have been fortunate that that has like, gosh, there've been so many times. So I guess it was 2002 that I quit my day job. And, and since then I have sustained my livelihood on various forms, like acting, writing, teaching, freelance jobs, corporate teaching, you know, all, all things sort of in the periphery. Um, and I, and there have been times where it's like, I think I'm going to have to go pick up a Starbucks application. And, and then like 48 hours later, something, something happens that sustains me for a little bit longer. I, and I feel very grateful for that. So in that way, I feel like I had a successful career. Um, but but the other part of it is um, like personal fulfillment and what feels like growth. And that's what stopped happening. Um, the jobs that I, the, the, for the most part, the acting jobs that I were getting were just not, you know, it was like a couple of lines. And so financially, great, very happy to get that. But it, it feels pretty meaningless <laughs> when, when, you know, you, you, it just, I felt that on set, those types of roles, you feel like no one wants you there. You feel like you're only in the way. 
Um, there's no creativity to it. There were a few times where I was, I got roles and, and always fairly small, but that I was like allowed to improvise or whatever. And when I could, I, I dazzled everyone. Like it was great. And people, people, I know people liked me. I know people liked working with me. Um, and yet, uh, it just never, it was so, those, those types of jobs that felt good were so few and far between that it just didn't feel fulfilling. And, and so that was sort of the other success of it was just like, ugh, I, it, it doesn't, I don't feel like I'm using my potential at all. It reminds me, is that all there is? Is that yeah. all there is? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I get it. That's how I felt with being the therapist for so many decades. Mm. That, you know, for me, the opposite way, improv likes, oh, yeah, I have found my life. Um, so um, I did want to ask you, uh, if you ever were at the West Side with Jane Morris? Uh, I love oh, so much. I love Jane. Um, I, I've performed there. I've done shows with her actually over there, um, but not on any any regular basis. Okay. But I love that theater. Yeah. Yeah. And so... So you're kind of getting, I don't know if disenchanted is the right word, but like, you know, I'm, I had my success when I was 31 years old and now I'm whatever. And <laughs> sometimes it's like just getting on the same machine and going back and forth. And so how did you just, how did you decide to make the transition into becoming a psychotherapist and tell me a little bit more about that journey? Yeah. Um, so my husband is, like I said, we, we were together at Second City. So he's an actor and a writer also. And I, I think, you know, what's been great is, like I said, whenever things get kind of bleak, something happens and, and we get kind of, you know, a, 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 can make enough money to keep going. But the unfortunate thing is what that does is it just sort of, I, I think I needed a, a big opportunity to sort of reevaluate what was going on. And Luckily, a global pandemic occurred <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that, you know, stopped us in our tracks. And um, I, I think that was sort of the, I, I think already in the few years prior to that, that if anyone had just offered me a full-time job, like one thing I was doing is some um, advertising, like copywriting, freelance work. And I thought, you know, if someone would just offer me a job at an ad agency at this point, I would take it. I am tired of every year wondering if we're going to get our health insurance covered by SAG. Um, it's just, and especially with a kid, like this is no way to live. <laughs> so I, I was really ready for someone to, to, to save me <laughs> from, from this. Um, and so then the pandemic hit and I, you know, my, my daughter was in, first grade, well, kindergarten when it started, and then first grade for that almost full year that was online. And I just had this feeling of like, oh my gosh, these kids, what is going to happen? Like wh what's going to happen to them years down the road? What are the repercussions going to be of this socially very weird year where they're not getting the interaction and, and, you know, they, they can't just like go out and play with their friends so that was already on my mind. And then um, with um, the murder of George Floyd and the whole Black Lives Matter movement, you know, I, I was going to marches. I was feeling very um, angry and guilty and privileged and all of these things. And I so on the on two things were happening. A friend of mine who works at an ad agency um, got me an interview uh, at, at an ad agency. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to do this and I'm going to have benefits. And it's not that hard of a job. It wasn't even copywriting. It was more like account stuff. And I was like, great, I'm going to do that. That's going to be great. And then the so sort of social justice side of me was like, I think I need more than that. I And I became very kind of obsessed with how, like, how can I help in, in just a general sense of like the world feels it, like it is falling apart and totally bonkers. How can I help? And my first thought was that I wanted to be like a, a school uh, counselor. 
Um, and I may still, uh, but I, so that sort of started my, um, deep dive and I, I looked into programs and, um, eventually landed on MFT instead of school counseling, because it, there's just a little more, um, flexibility to the, the MFT degree. Um, you want to tell people what that is that everybody knows. Oh, marriage and family therapy. Yes. Sorry. Um, I, I knew, but yes. <laughs> So, so I, and, and at that point, honestly, it was just sort of a, a put one foot in front of the other type of thing, because I applied to one program because there was only one program that I could possibly afford to go to. Um, and the whole way I was like, I don't know, let's just see if this works. And I'm just going to keep taking, um, you know, whatever positive signals I get from this as some kind of sign. And I, got an interview and found out that four times the usual number of applicants uh, had applied the year I did. And so I was like, okay, never mind. I'm not going to get this. And then I got in and I, I was, I literally jumped up from my seat when I got the email that I got in and (laughs) I, it was the easiest decision to make to accept that and to either walk away from, or at least press pause on all of the other stuff. Um, and I haven't looked back, like it's been great. And it, and more and more, I'm seeing that the first 20 years of my career has a lot of space to grow in what's going to be the second 20 years of my career, because improv is working its way into everything that I'm doing. Um, and, and vice versa. So I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. And that is a feeling I have not felt in a very long time. And it feels very good. It's an awesome feeling, isn't it? I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. The planets have aligned. It truly, truly feels that way after a long struggle. And how did you feel being back in school and writing papers and all that good stuff? I mean, I don't love writing papers, but I love being in school. I, I loved college. I loved it so much, my undergrad. And so I wondered if I would feel the same way. And I do. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, and, and I think my program is really like top notch. And the people I've met and my professors, um, I, I have I, I have no regrets. It is has just been a fantastic experience. So great. Now, um, during the time when you started school and you're graduating December of this year, 23, Uh um, were you performing at all anymore? Were you doing any shows or what was going on with improv? Um, I haven't really been, you know, I I think, um, so IO in Los Angeles closed in February of 2018. And then, and so that was the main place that I would perform. Although even at that point, or actually I was part of a group then. Um, uh, and But I was already sort of feeling like, oh, I don't know if I have a lot more of these like 10 o'clock shows in me at this point, stuff like that. Um, and so I was just sort of doing one-off shows. I would do shows at the West Side sometimes. Um, and then with the pandemic, uh, it you know, everything shut down. So there were some, you know, Zoom shows and things like that, that I would take part in. Um, But I had kind of stopped. And I think that was part of it too, as I was like, I'm not missing it. Um, There's some things about it that I miss, um, but it's more sort of the, in the theoretical, you know, than, than the actual in practice, getting in my car and driving and finding parking and everything. I was just really burnt out on it. Um, so I actually just got back Saturday from teaching, um, corporate improv at Duke, um, at their business school, the Fuqua school of business. Cool. And yeah, it's a week long intensive. And at the end of it, there's five instructors and we do a long form improv show. And I realized that was the first time that I had performed in front of people live, um, in three years. Uh, and it was great. It felt great to do it. I love doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I think knowing that I've, I have, I, I know so, Jay Suko, I know so many people for so long. And so I know that if there's a week that I'm like, I must do an improv show, that I can find a place that I can do an improv show. Mm-hmm. And I think having that 
knowledge has made it feel okay to kind of walk away for a while because I know I have a home. I know I can come back. Um, and so it feels like something I'm still able to hold on to. Oh, that's awesome. That's beautiful. Now, right now you're, you've got a, we call them field placements or internship in a school. And I think you said you're working with sixth through 12th graders. Yes. As a therapist. Yes. Not a <laughs> counselor or anything like that as a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, boy, I, when did I start August and the amount that I have learned and grown from in that amount of time is absolutely incredible. And it's, it's like, it feels terrifying. It feels very stressful. Um, but tomorrow I go back after being gone for four weeks and I find myself like dying to see my kids and see how they're doing and see how their breaks were. And, and, um, I'm, I'm really eager to, to go back, which is a great feeling. Um, and I actually am, am proposing to my supervisor, a group, um, cause they, they like us to, to do some, some groups as well, uh, to do a social anxiety, uh, group where we use improv, um, yeah. do improv exercises. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm feeling like it's all coming together. That is so wonderful. And do you think you want to stay in a school setting? Do you want to do private practice as an MFT? Or do you think you want to maybe stay in school systems for a while? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I, I really love working with kids. Um, the school setting itself have ups and downs. Um, it, there, there are some difficult things about it. Um, the sort of bureaucracy of things and all of that. But I know that that's in a lot of settings. Um I'm not sure. And and one of the reasons I love this career change is that I feel like it's something that I can can sort of change with me over time. Um, I see myself eventually ending up in private practice. Um, and I sort of see in the meantime, you know, when I'm when I become an associate and everything of using that time to just sort of see what is resonating with me and and where I feel at home and, and where I can do the most good. So um, I, I, I definitely want to keep kids in the mix in, in some shape or form. That's great. You know, some people want to go into private practice almost immediately, but they haven't got the life experience as a therapist and what that's really about. So being in settings, whether it's a school or a psych hospital or rehab or something like that. I worked for Catholic Social Services for my first three years of practice, even though I wasn't a Catholic. And once or twice, there were some issues that came up because I was not a Catholic, but working for a Catholic agency. Oh. So, um, sometimes our values and ethics conflict with that of the agency, especially if it's connected to the Pope. Um, but yeah. uh, it, was, it yes. was such a good experience because I got to know the people in my town and the community, and it was it was I wouldn't trade it for anything actually. Um, I think that you're going to be a success, whatever you do, Molly Erdman. I think. Oh well, you thank you, Margo. I appreciate that. Oh no, I'm I have been just in love with you right now. Your energy <laughs> and enthusiasm and your great mind. And I love the combination of improv and therapy because it really does fit. When I took my first improv class, I right away looked up improv and therapy because I thought I've discovered something. You know, this is about 12 years ago. And then I found out there were therapists using improv around the globe. And there was some, in, one in particular, Christian Kruger in Chicago, who had actually written a, a evidence-based research paper on it. So it, it calmed me down a little bit, but um, I think it's, it's just a wonderful skill to have. And, you know, you can have it all. Being a mom is kind of a full-time thing too. And sounds like she's precious, just precious. She is. She is. She keeps us keeps us on our toes for sure. <laughs> Good. Well, listen, this has been a wonderful time with me. We actually spoke for a little longer than I planned initially, and that's great. <laughs> and um, 
I, I don't know, like sometimes like the close was saying, do you have anything you'd like to say to people who are improvising or what about transitioning in a career, changing your course and maybe midstream? I kind of changed my course in my senior years, I guess you could say, but maybe yeah. something you could say to our listeners about making a transition and what that's meant for you. I think it's been so affirming to be able to acknowledge and follow an instinct um, and to also know that it's worth a shot. You know, if I had started grad school and hated it, I knew I didn't have to stay. Um, and so I think if you're feeling like there's more out there for you, try something. Um, I know that's oversimplified, but but I do think like nothing has to be permanent. And you know what? I'm changing careers now. I could change it again. Who knows? There's there's a lot of time in this life to to play around. There's plenty of time. And I've enjoyed our time tremendously, Molly. Maybe we'll meet again. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on Martin Luther King Day. I'm not sure when we'll be published, but today is MLK Day. So it's a really kind of special day. Thank you so it much. Is. It is. Yeah. Well, thank you, Marco. It was really nice talking to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.